boy. Hi. <laughs> My name is Angus Scrim, and you are listening to Loathsome Things, a horror movie podcast. My name is actually John. I know it's a shock. With me, as always, uh, my co-host, Josh. Josh, how are you doing, sir? I am confused, but doing quite well. (laughs) I uh, have never paid attention to this movie before today. Sometimes I got confused yesterday episode when you announced that we would be doing this. I did the thing that I always do whenever I hear that it's this movie. I think the movie Scanners... Because when I think about this movie, I think about those little silvery balls. And for some reason in my brain, those are scanners. So I was like, oh yeah, cool. But then no, actually, the CD for movie. I don't know where that came from. Scanners is a great movie. I would love to do that. There's so many of his movies I want to do. Yeah. But this isn't one of them. But this. This isn't that one. (laughs) This is a fine, fine film that came out in 1979. I remember when it came out, I was, what, 11? And uh, everybody talked Aww. about it at school because of the trailers. They were like, dude, did you see the silver ball? And everybody was losing their mind, and no one went to see it because everyone was too scared. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> we were too young, and we were all, like, talking a bunch of shit. And then later it's like, you know, so did you see it? No. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Fuck that. (laughs) And then when I finally saw it, I was like, wow, it's not scary at all. But it's awesome. (laughs) It's not scary, but it's it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) It does. It's its own world. Don Coscarelli's world building. I mean, he's profoundly influenced other movies such as, oh, I don't know, The Void. (laughs) Yeah. It's like wow, he just it's a, it's like a it's like this weird sci-fi horror subgenre that he pretty much just created all by himself. It's awesome. It's it's also it's got elements of like the uh the kids on bikes type of thing, you know, like uh like e. it feels like like ET, it feels like even older ones like the Apple Dumpling Gang or it you know nice. it's very stranger things type thing because it's this kid going around and spying on adults and having to convince the adults that a bad thing is happening and then there's also weirdly silly moments in it that are completely off tone and would fit perfectly in a movie like that um but then there's also gigantic full-breasted Hollywood titties and also literal fountains of blood shooting out of foreheads. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of, because that was around the time that I would have seen uh, Salem's Lot, the uh, the TV production that was like a little mini-series, and that movie, or that series or whatever, completely destroyed my life, uh, as apparently it... <laughs> It did a lot of other people uh, of my generation. So uh, because I read it all the time, like on on Twitter, or excuse me, on X, people will say like, post a meme of the movie that ruined you as a child. And so many people post the scene from Salem's Lot where the kid is at the window. Let me in. Tap, tap. Everyone talks about that scene like it just traumatized them. That movie, that scene fucking ruined me. Um, But for some reason I associate, well, the reason I associate it with Salem's Lot is because Salem's Lot, I mean, uh, 
Phantasm is like this ridiculous pal, like buddy movie, um, or it's it's establishing this ridiculous buddy movie concept where it's like the young kid and the older guy driving around trying to defeat the old evil guy in the big house, which is like yeah, pure Salem's Lot. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting. It's it the little niche that it created for itself. It's. A wild story. It's not yes. like anything else that no. you see, but it it it's got like oh yeah, like like it's got that little kids on bikes element. It's got the you know buddy uh like across town supernatural the TV series vibe at times, but it's just wildly off the wall and like the fact that it turns into a sci-fi around the halfway point is just bonkers i i love it it's i love this movie i definitely recommend everyone see it it's good it's good and apparently it has the bene Gesserit in it as well i don't know what the <laughs> fuck that was about oh oh yeah there's there's a lot of uh stuff in here so not only does he have to stick his hand in a pain box where it turns out that fear is the real enemy uh, there's also, at a certain point, he shoves his head through a portal and ends up on Arrakis. And, um, yes. also, also, the bar that they go to is called the Dunes Cantina. Yes! So it's like... <laughs> Coscarelli must have just been obsessed with that book, which, I mean, you know, you can't blame him. It's a great fucking book. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he, uh, he also had a hard time because they... They did all of this before the first Star Wars movie came out, but then the Star Wars movie came out before this, and they they were still filming, and they were like, oh, look, Jawas, they look exactly like our dudes. We should redesign our dudes, right? And he is like, no, we already filmed this stuff with our dudes. We're just leaving it in. I can't, I can't pay for any more camera time. Yeah, I can't pay for any more rent it on Friday, return it on Monday camera time. <laughs> they only filmed on the weekends because, <laughs> I mean, that's really smart. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, Coscarelli is funny because he doesn't he doesn't really get as much respect as guys like, uh, you know, um, like Carpenter or, you know, I mean, it's funny because there really aren't any directors that are kind of assigned to the Friday the 13th thing because it was all over the place. But like. You know, what's his nuts that did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, West Craven. And, yeah, you, you know, he's not he's not up there with those guys for some reason, but he damn well ought to be. Yeah, because um, he completely, you know, he he didn't really riff on someone else's idea. He pretty much just came up with his own, which I guess was loosely based or it was partially based on its dream that he had. Of a murderous silver sphere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, the the whole story of making this movie is wild, because it's all over the place. It just took bits from everything. Uh, part of it is, at a, to write this, he, like, went on a solo retreat to write the script for it. His mom was very involved in it, yes. and then wrote a novelization about it 30 years later. 500 pages? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> what? You, wait a minute. You wrote a hundred and fifty thousand words about this shit. <laughs> I think it was only five hundred copies. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five hundred copies. The bit with the tuning fork on the yes. guitar. That that was read. The actor that plays that character and his wife came up with that. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> 
it would it could have been a really cool idea, but they just don't flesh it out. Yeah. But there's a lot of that in this movie. If anything happens in this movie, it happens twice. So yeah. like everything that happens has a foreshadowing and then it does it again. It's very yeah. strange. It is very strange. Uh, this movie has some of the best music of any horror film, period, hands down. It's instantly recognizable. The the weird electronic drones that carry on through the movie, including the rising tone through the climax yeah. of the film, is absolutely brilliant. It's, oh, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. I would say it's Carpentarian, but this yes. came out the same year as Halloween, and it's like they both went to the same store. <laughs> yeah, they went to the they went to the Goblin store and bought their soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were both drinking the same water whenever they composed those movies. <laughs> Fortunately, they were not drinking the the water from uh, whatever you know, the, in the darkness or the whatever the hell that terrible movie was <laughs> yeah. we just reviewed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god! (sighs) Oh, fuck yeah. So yeah, this movie is great. Uh, Let's see, content warnings. Uh, It deals with death. It's uh, super dark. So while it kind of does have that, like, E.T., like, Stranger Things vibe, it's also a a bit more like... uh, Pan's Labyrinth mm-hmm. in that it's like a kid's adventure movie, but with like really dark shit behind it. That's true. Yeah, it really, it really yeah. is. That's, that was one of the things that appealed to us when we were young. It's like, oh, well, he's young. And, uh, then we were like, how could he have made this movie? How could he not be so scared? Like, we're just such idiots. <laughs> that kid's so cool. He has a motorbike and he works on a car. <laughs> he's got long hair except for one scene where it's short and then the next time you see him, it's long again. <laughs> yeah, and his best friend doesn't have hair. <laughs> Best friend slash lover. (laughs) Yeah. Also, he has a maid with one line. Oh, my God. Because, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I love how these guys live in houses. Like, what? I don't even know what Jody does for a living. Maybe their dad was rich and they inherited money. Reggie has his own house because he drives an ice cream truck. Like, (laughs) you you could buy a palatial house in California, like up in the hills, uh, and all you had to do was drive an ice cream truck in a small town, and you were golden. Oh, man. And let me tell you, that ice cream truck is in every scene. <laughs> you can't just go around town and not see Reggie in his ice cream truck. <laughs> there, Nobody ever in that town said, I wish there was more ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I know anything about this town, there's a bar... There's mobile ice cream and apparently a lollipop store. And so many people die because that mortuary is fucking enormous. Oh, man. The only place to have sex in the whole town is the graveyard. (laughs) I love how that house is so big. It has like two areas, a mausoleum, three, a basement, and and some weird like, like... gateway to hell room i don't know (laughs) that's the whole Uh, place (laughs) i love that the uh in the trivia for this movie they're like did you know that the the mausoleum area wasn't actually made of marble it was contact paper on a set it's like oh you don't say it looks like shit but it works (laughs) oh it was plywood with contact paper (laughs) yeah wow what a shock who could have guessed (laughs) 
course, as a kid, I didn't even notice that. I was just like, well, where did they find this cool mausoleum? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks good. It just it, doesn't look real. It's, yeah. it's sufficiently creepy. Yeah, it, it and the, the fakeness of it is like gives it this weird uncanny valley element to where it just kind of almost makes it better in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got big uh big red room energy. It does. I love this movie. The actors never did anything else there yeah. except for except for more phantasm movies. But but the director, Don Coscarelli, uh he went on to direct basically all the other phantasm movies. Uh he also directed The Beastmaster, which yep. I haven't seen, but it looks fucking awesome. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> he directed a Dio music video as well as Bubba Hotep and That's John right. dies at the end. He made the last in line, didn't he? He did. He That's did. Him. Oh my god, that video is so ridiculous. That's the one where Dio <laughs> is wielding the huge sword and fighting on the top of a high rise. Yeah. <laughs> We're the last in line! So good. I know we've already had one Dio music video recommended to us. Maybe our bonus content should be we just review Dio music videos. It was that video. That was the one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it? That, yeah. Oh, man. The, the one with, like, Borg and shit in it? Yes. And what was that? What Ramon recommended it. And what was it that he mentioned? He sent me... I don't know if you saw it or not. He sent me something that was like a alternate screenplay to to phantasm or something i'm gonna have to look that up that's fucking crazy Ooh, yeah i don't know i don't know oh uh one more piece of trivia um apparently this movie is what inspired lemmy to write the song the ace of spades what? because while <laughs> i don't know it sounds like it sounds like a myth to me but according to mythology lemmy was watching this movie in theaters and he thought that mike's face looked like an ace of spades because of the shape of his nose. <laughs> and then right there in the in the theater started writing lyrics down with like a pencil that some guy gave him. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh my god, that's too weird. Oh. Yeah. Your nose reminds me of a spade. Man, that kid's face looks like the ace of spades. Ooh. Let's write a song about how cool gambling is. Oh my god, that's so good. Oh my god. <laughs> Woo. All right. All right. We're going into it. Let's get started. started. The movie opens. There's sex happening in a graveyard. The woman pulls out a clue style dagger and kills the dude with it. The dude, man, he's got facial hair. Uh, <laughs> then that lady who you saw one boob of turns into an, an old tall man. More on this guy later. Cut to daylight at Morningside Funeral Home. A guy named Jody with gorgeous hair and a guy named Reggie with horrible hair. Can't believe Tommy <laughs> killed himself. <laughs> We're led to believe that Tommy was the weird facial hair guy who got stabbed by one boob. Yeah, Tommy's a douche. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Mike, an, an adorable little girl, rides his dirt bike through the graveyard and then sees Jawas hiding behind gravestones. They're always like, just running yeah. off screen. <laughs> There's lots of little like... 
going around just around corners yes. inside of uh, the aforementioned mausoleum marble mausoleum area jody is confronted by the tall man who we saw transform out of a one-boobed uh blonde hollywood lady who says the funeral is about to begin <clears throat> sir <laughs> so good Angus Scrim is such a good name uh, and not his real name. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's a shame that it's not his real name because that's classic. His, I know his real name's Rory. Oh uh, no, what a dick. Uh, Joey and Reggie talk about how good it is that Mike didn't come to Tommy's funeral because Mike kept having nightmares for weeks after their parents' funeral. Aha! Exposition, clever, yeah. deep. Uh, outside, Mike is spying on the funeral with his binoculars. Uh, much heaviness is visually granted to the casket as we see like six or eight dudes struggling to carry it around in the most ridiculous funeral clothes you've ever seen. Of course, Reggie would show up to a funeral in a purple double-breasted suit. It's so God, it's so fucking weird. <laughs> I love that little conversation they have, and then all of a sudden Jody's like, well, I'm going to go in. I got someone to talk to. (laughs) Mike sees, then after everyone leaves, Mike sees the tall man lift the casket into the her single-handedly, just picks it up and boop, pops it in there. That freaks him out a little bit. Um, Then the Carpentarian music swells up as Mike hikes to a fortune teller, even though he has a dirt bike, he is now on foot. Uh, He goes inside. It's a fortune teller plus granddaughter who have matching stars drawn on them. Uh, The grandmother can hear, but apparently not speak. So the granddaughter does all of the speaky bits. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I said the grandma looks like Ozzy. Oh, yeah, she does. (laughs) Oh, the little grandmother, Prince of Darkness herself. (laughs) That's right. That's great. Um... He he tells the fortune teller that he learned that Joey Jody is going to leave, and now we switch to footage of Jody driving his Plymouth Barracuda like a complete asshole. Total. Great car, terrible human being. Um, and then we see that Mike enjoys working on the Barracuda. Um, then while Mike is working on the Barracuda, some really beige neighbor shows up with condolences, talks to Jody about how much action he must be getting out there in the real world and how he must hate being stuck in this town. Jody's like, yeah, fuck this town. Uh, He says he's thinking of sending Mike off to live with his aunt and then talks about how weird it is that Mike follows him. So now within this, like, cutscene to that happening, there's now a further cutscene of Mike following Jody everywhere that Jody goes so weird but now but now Jody's on a a bicycle yeah and Mike is just running behind him like a doggy <laughs> like not barely not tripping over shit in the background um and 
I don't understand what's happening. And then, okay, now whoop, zip back to the fortune teller. She's like, nah, don't worry, because even if Jody does leave, he'll take you with him. And then he's like, okay, now here's the other thing. And then he tells the story of seeing the tall man putting the casket into the hearse. And we, we see that footage over again, but now they've added extra footage where Mike drives off on his Dirk bike, but the, the bike malfunctions, and then the tall man uses the force to knock him off the bike yeah. or something. And then um, he gets on it and rides away. Yeah, and then it's fine. Um, and then after, like, now, whoop, back to the fortune teller. <laughs> all of a sudden, a black box has appeared on the table. Mike's like, oh, how'd you do that? Neat. Um, and Grandma wants him to put his hand into the black box a la Dune. It latches onto his hand. It hurts. There's the whole fear is the killer. It was all in your mind bit. And then he leaves. And then as he leaves, the granddaughter and grandmother giggle together. I love that giggle. I don't know what the joke is, but they're having a great time. Oh, it's a knee slapper, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, Jody is on the front porch with all of his amplifiers and a hat that he only wears in this scene. Reggie pulls up in his real shitty looking ice cream truck with the guitar that has like a convenient guitar like holster on the side of the ice cream truck. He whips that bad boy out. And they just start jamming like two cool dudes. Oh, man, two 70s dudes just getting down. <laughs> After that's done and ugh, really grossly, Reggie pulls out a tuning fork, does the thing, puts it against there, and then shoves his fingers onto the end. Is that how tuning forks work? Do you shove your fingers onto the two prongs of a tuning fork in order to... Is that no. how they work? No, you hit one of the forks on something, and then you yeah. set that ball down, and it pl it plays a, a tone. It's a 440 megahertz, if I remember. It's like A, the A note, yeah. if I remember. And you, you just the only reason you would touch the prong is to stop it from vibrating, not to foreshadow a gate to <laughs> another dimension. <laughs> well, they do that, and they really focus in on it. Look at his tuning fork! Oh my god! <laughs> Every time I see that scene, I forget what it that it means something, and well, I don't know what it means. That's probably why. But every time yeah. I see it, I'm like, "Why is he doing that?" And then I see the <laughs> things later, and I'm like, "Oh, that's right." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While this is happening, a blonde girl, possibly the fortune teller's granddaughter, but we don't really. It's hard to see because they don't show her face very much. Like, the distinguishing feature of the fortune teller's granddaughter is that she's a blonde girl and she has a star drawn a on star. her face. Yes, there's a lot of blonde girls in this movie. Yeah, only blonde girls. Yeah, and they're pretty, they're pretty interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, anyone could be two of another. <laughs> um... Anyway, so she goes into Morningside Funeral. We get the feeling that it might be the fortune teller's granddaughter because it's like it, it started right after they giggled. I don't know what's going on, but uh, uh, she opens a door in the mausoleum area. The door, the, when it opens, the room is full of brightness and then the d girl screams and then that's over and it only barely gets picked up again later on in the movie. Yeah. Um, 
It doesn't make sense. Nope. Uh, Jody pulls up to the Dunes Cantina. Get it? And uh, Mike <laughs> is watching him. He watches him from the window as Jody picks up a a booby Hollywood lady. Uh, he he leaves with her. Uh, it's the same lady from the beginning of the movie. And guess where they're gonna go to have sex? The graveyard. So Mike follows them and smiles whenever he gets to see her boobs. And then Mike ends up getting like rushed by a jawa he runs and screams which of his path of running goes right by jody who is who is mid pulling his pants down jody then with a mouthful of dirty cotton panties that he just won't let go of goes oh it's my brother i'll be right back i think he's got something wrong with him and then he <laughs> runs while he's pulling up his pants and <sighs> has dirty panties dangling from betwixt <sighs> his teeth I, it's like a I, it's like a really really bad sight gag not yeah that, like i don't know what a really good sight gag is exactly but this is a bad one yeah um, it's not good no so Mike, Mike takes off. Jody's chasing him. Uh, he catches up to him. We get some stupid line about a gopher in heat. And uh, now, now they're, you know, they, they have their little talk, you know, like, hey, well, you follow me around. Oh, you know, I, just, I, said, oh, I saw Java. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are panties in your mouth, whatever. So then, then like, they go back, or Jody goes back to find the girl. She's gone. Great. We cut to uh, Mike, who's, who's in bed. He's uh, having a dream that. He, it turns out he, he basically wakes up in a dream or whatever. His bed is in the cemetery, very brightly backlit, with the tall man standing over the bed with his hands on the headboard, looking down at him, and two giant, not, not giant, but two corpses come up, like one on either side of the bed, jump out and grab uh, Mike. Oh, wow. Really scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> next day, Mike sees the tall man in town, walking slow in slow motion down the sidewalk, wearing a Beatles suit and platform boots. I don't know what the hell's going on there. And he's basically strutting like he's on his way to an audition for the Bee Gees or whatever. And he, he like, walks up and he, like, passes by Reggie's ice cream truck parked on the side of the road. And then he kind of stops. And there's, like, this weird interchange where... Reggie, who doesn't even notice the tall man, opens the doors to the ice cream truck and he apparently has like a smoke machine in there because all this fog is like pouring out. And the tall man is like, oh, ooh, like waving the cold air towards himself. Like, oh, uh, like he's getting off. I don't know what the fuck's going on. It's Mike's, such a good scene. It's so cool, but but it makes no sense. And No sense. As I described it, the, the tall man cops bone over the ice cream fog. <laughs> Um, okay, Mike sees all that from across the street. That's fine. And then we, we're back to the Dunes Cantina, uh, where Jody's talking to the bartender, who has one of those fucking garters around his arm, like he, like he serves sarsaparilla or some shit. And <clears throat> they're talking, and, you know, he's asking him if he saw the girl, and no, great, whatever, no one cares, it's not that interesting. Um, meanwhile, Mike is, uh, Back home in the garage, he's dicking around with Jody's car. He's up underneath. Uh, he starts hearing the <laughs> sound in the garage. And then the car starts doing the wibbly wobblies. And uh, he's kind of like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I'm scared. And then the the car gets pushed off the jack, trapping Mike between the car and the ground. 
and uh, Mike grabs a hammer and he hits what he thinks is a Jawa, but it turns out to be Jody, and it makes like a thunk noise. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> it's like, hey, why'd you do that? What are you doing under there? It's like, what is happening? He bonks him on the toe with a hammer, and it makes a silly cartoon noise. Why? <laughs> and then they, they talk. He's like, I swear, there was one of those things was in here. A dwarf or whatever. It's really ridiculous. Um, so that's fine. So uh, then Mike decides later at night, he's or whatever, it could be the next night. Who knows? He Who sneaks out of the house. Yeah. On his way to the Morningside uh, Funeral Home Cemetery slash place, uh, he can't open the gate, so he climbs over. He lurks his way around the front of the house, finds a basement window, uh, very quietly kicks the shit out of it, and has glass go everywhere. And then does that thing where he, does, he like looks to one side, then he looks to the other, and then he climbs <laughs> into the hole. And, you know, there's a couple, there's a casket and some moving boxes and he bumps the moving boxes and knocks a styrofoam head with a blonde wig on it over, which makes no sense. Um, I know, I so I know the story behind that. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, it was supposed to be a cat, but they couldn't get a cat, so they didn't know what to do. And the lady in charge of hair was like, what about one of my wigakins? <laughs> what about No. Yeah. <laughs> it's so anticlimactic like it just lands in his hands and he's like oh a wig okay well, whatever <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, wow that was scary um worth it yeah totally worth it um so he he then now, now he's uh, he's upstairs i assume i don't know where the hell he is in the house but he's in the casket displaced sales room with all the open caskets and he's walking around he hears the door, which is extremely loud. Sounds like it's slamming, but apparently it opens. And some yeah. guy with a lot of facial makeup walks in, wearing a jumpsuit. I guess he's supposed to be the grave digger. Um, so Mike Mike hides in a casket somehow. Is, is, I don't know how he was able to do that with the guy walking in, but he is. So now he's hiding. He's like peeking. He's got a lighter that, like in his hand. That he was using earlier to like, which basically was like a torch, so he could see his yeah. way around the basement. Um, he's so then the the man walks in the room. He's kind of like looking around. He starts walking towards the closed casket, and right as he gets there, the the tall man shows up and just kind of gestures to the guy, and they they leave the room. Which okay, Mike yeah. crawls out. Um, <clears throat> Mike goes into the mausoleum area. Here's he's wandering around. He hears some banging noise. Um, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a sphere just, sh this silver sphere just shows up, comes around the corner, bzzz, making all this crazy noise. And, you know, uh, the grave, grave digger guy jumps out and grabs Mike and they start wrestling. And then at the last second, Mike is able to dodge and the sphere goes right into the dude's head. And these little hooks go in and then he holds it so that, you know, it won't fall <laughs> off his head. Yeah. And then this little drill bit thing comes out and just drills into the bridge of his nose with, like, this little piece of putty, like, wet flapping in the air. It's supposed to be skin. Oh, I love so that. Good. The little pieces of his face, like, j shooting off. Oh, oh it's so, so good. good. And then the camera pulls back. He's holding this thing. It basically obscures his whole eyes. And there's a hole in the back of the sphere, and blood is just shooting out like a hose. It's, <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It's... <laughs> 
Like, well, this is the best idea ever. <laughs> it's so good. And then Mike freaks the fuck out, of course. And the yeah. guy falls dead to the floor and pisses himself. There's like a <sighs> spreading like puddle of piss on the floor. I was like, oh, that's good. That's I- good. I always hate a piss take, but I will say this is one of the weirdest piss takes because it's not like a trickle. It's like someone popped a piss balloon because it doesn't like start spreading. It goes from no piss to all of a sudden, boom, here's all the piss. It's like bucket o piss. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. And it um, catches Mike's attention. He's like, oh shit, there's piss. I should run now. I, I should run. Uh <laughs> Tall man shows up. Uh, turns out the tall man can run pretty goddamn fast. He's chasing Mike. Uh, Mike runs through a door, slams it on the tall man's hand, chops his fingers off, and his fingers shoot out goopy, <laughs> viscous, yellowish blood. Um, and he makes these weird, like, electronic cries, like, and it just goes on and on. It's so fucking good. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> yeah, it's that it's that like regular ass, just everyday yellow mustard, and that's uh, his blood. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> Mike Mike retrieves one of the fingers, which is amazing. Um, but anyway, so yeah, now the Jawas are now chasing him, or dwarves, or whatever we're supposed to be calling them. They're chasing him now, and or one of them is anyway. And uh, Mike barely escapes, but he's got the fingers. He's now at home. We, we cut to his house. He's sleeping on his heavily <laughs> shag-carpeted stairs with the yes. black iron railway, which is like pure 70s. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he's got a shotgun in his hands and a little wooden box that's going, <laughs> like, wobbling around because there's fingers in it. <laughs> yeah. Jody wakes up, comes out, sees Michael sleeping on the stairs, comes down, takes the shotgun, like, empties the shells out. And then, oh my God, this is so weird. Uh, and then he <laughs> he talks to him. You know, he, he sees the finger. There, there's that great moment where he's like, he's, he's like, what what does he say? He says, look in there. I've got one of his fingers or something like that. And he's like, no, that can't be right. And then he opens it. And he's like, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I believe you. That's right. He's like, no, I can't be. I believe you. Yeah. And then, uh, then it's they have their It's still little... moving around in there. It's yeah. wiggling around in the mustard. Pretty good effect. Um, yeah. It fills the whole damn screen. Uh, so then Jody, uh, takes, he, he takes off. No, no, no. There's, there's more, there's more goodness before that happens. Yeah. They, they, oh my God. I almost, I almost missed that part. That would have been sad. Yeah. He's like, okay, I believe you. So anyways, uh, Jody takes Mike to go see the sheriff and, uh, they, uh, before they're gonna, before they leave, they check the Mike checks the box one more time just because you know, like picking at a scab kind of thing. I wonder if the finger will fit in there. So yeah. he like opens the box, and the finger has how do I say this? Has morphed into a giant rubber hand painted fly made out of yarn and rubber that looks so stupid and has little white painted teeth and is like buzzing and making electronic synthesizer sounds like drill sounds and it like attacks the kid then it shows Mike he's like looking around and then his hair gets all messed up and the fly comes up through his hair and 
He's fighting the giant stupid fly, wraps it in a towel, and then Jody shows up. Then they're wrestling the towel together, which is a grown man and a child with a towel in their hands, pretending like something is in it, trying to, like, fight it. And they, let's put it in the disposal. So they take it over to the sink and stuff it into the sink. And Mike turns on the garbage disposal. And they're like, whew, okay, well, that's done. I mean, that's... No way that's coming back. (laughs) (laughs) So then Reggie shows up and he's like, hey, hey, Mike, what's going on? I thought maybe you might want to come with me while I sell ice cream. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's right. That is what he wants him to do. It's like, why? Why would he want to do that? I think we know why later we figure it out. But yeah, um, because he wants to fuck him. (laughs) Anyways, so the fly... (laughs) The fly, oh, guess what? The fly's not dead because Reggie keeps peeking over at the drain and there's like a little painted fake fly eye that's like peeking out of the drain or whatever. And then it it flies out of the sink and attacks and then they kill it again. They like stomp it to death a million times or whatever. They they get it back into the garbage disposal and then Jody is stabbing the garbage disposal with a knife over and over again. While, I will say, while Mike is, like, reaching across to turn on the garbage disposal, that knife is just like, bam, 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 like, mumbly-pegging back and forth around his arm. <laughs> it's it's a great scene. The, the the scene where he's crawling up, it's this, it's that shot in, like, a comedy movie where, where it's, like, right on the kid's face, and it's like, oh, where's it coming from? Where's the sound coming from? And his hair starts mussing around yep. it, from behind, and then there's, like, him looking back and forth, but not moving his head, and then you see that it's the fly. It's the stupidest thing, and it it's... It's like it's played for a laugh, and this would be the type of thing that would be played for a laugh in any other movie, but in this one, it's played to be scary, and it's so fucking weird. It really is weird. It's, yeah, I love it. Um, Oh, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it takes balls to make something that bad. Uh, So later that night, or, you know, could be another night, uh, Jody decides he's going to Morningside, so he loads up the pistol, takes the pistol, he's basically forces Mike to stay at home with the shotgun um, because that's apparently that's Mike's gun of choice now. And, uh, and I'm like, where the fuck is Reggie? He was just there. Now, why is he gone? But he's gone. And he tells him to be careful as on on his way out. Great. Yeah. I guess, I mean, Reggie, the the people need ice cream, you know? Yeah. It's great Uh, because later, later on, Jody has the shotgun and Mike has the pistol. Yeah, it does. It happens. And it was like, wait, when did that happen? Why? (laughs) It didn't happen. (laughs) Here, switch me. It's like, okay, whatever. So, so Jody sneaks into Morningside through the same window that Mike broke. And then he gets attacked by a Jawa. He kills it and then decides, okay, well, he shoots the fuck out of this thing. And it's the loudest gunshot you'll ever hear in your life. (laughs) It is. So he's like, oh, okay, my cover's been blown. So he starts running away, but then he's being chased by the, the funeral home automobile, which appears to not have anyone driving it. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, the Barracuda shows up, and it also appears to have no one driving it. And then he's like, hey, who's in there? Mike, is that you? And then, yeah, actually, it is Mike, who just wasn't visible before. 
and just sat there for like 30 seconds without identifying himself, just sitting there while Jody is pointing a fucking pistol at him. Yeah. Or shotgun. Does he still have the pistol at that point? I think he's still got the pistol, yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay. what's happening there? So, so he gets into the car and then now here comes the funeral car again. And it's trying to like ram, run them off the road. At this point, they start saying the word mother a lot. And it's very distracting and uncomfortable. And no, you can tell none of these actors say that in their day-to-day lives. They're like, there's no one driving that mother. <laughs> no, it's like, okay, we get it. Enough. <laughs> oh, stop. All right, so so they're driving. Uh, uh, Mike is driving while Jody goes out the top and he starts shooting the pistol at the car. It's not doing a good job. So he's like, here, give me the shotgun. And then he's like, and get me in close. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot the engine block. And so he does that. And this causes the whole car to just expire and veer off the road. And so they stop to check. Like, oh yeah, let's check in and see like that. That was weird. Let's, uh, let's get out. And they see that there is what the it wasn't no one driving the car. It was being driven by one of the Jawas who a a branch from a tree had gone through the windshield and pinned it to death to the driver's seat. And they were like, oh, gross. And I uh, pulls back the hood. It's a little miniature Tommy from the <laughs> beginning of the movie. It's so weird. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, it's Tommy. Weird. Um. And then they somehow get Reggie to bring his ice cream truck there so that they can put Reggie, they, they can put mini Tommy into the, into the dry ice at the, in Reggie's ice cream section to keep it fresh. I like, oh, we killed the undead dwarf Tommy. We better put it on ice. Like, yeah, we got to we got to keep this guy fresh for some reason. Okay. Uh Reggie's not happy about it cuz he's worried about it getting mustard on his ice cream, which it's a valid concern. It's a good point. Um uh, they go inside and then Reggie gets jump scared by Myrtle, their maid. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Why do the- they have a black maid? <laughs> <laughs> the only black person in the whole movie she jumps out she says something like ah and uh he screams and he's like oh it's just you myrtle and that's the exit myrtle done with the movie um, <laughs> we just had to get one black person in there let's make her the maid yeah Jesus. we we really want to make sure that people know that these are some some i don't know yeah. i don't know this is what privileged the- white people do in california yeah, earlier in the gun scene, there like the gun was on the man, the enormous mantelpiece that's covered in historic guns and like a mounted mountain lion or something. Like I don't, it's it's all fucked. Um. So so Reggie's going to take Tommy home. No no no, I jumped ahead. Sorry. Um. Yeah, Reggie's plan is that they should. S- kick that guy's ass, the tall man, and then stake him like a vampire in order to get uh, answers out of him. Yeah. Um, to which Mike says, are you crazy? That mother's strong. It's like, <laughs> okay, stop it. These guys are not uh, real bright. 
So Jody has Reggie take Mike away to hang out with uh, hot girls at an antique store for some reason? Yeah, what the hell? Was that Susie and Sally or whatever their names were? Yeah, two hot blondes take him to a uh, late night antique store. Um, <laughs> and while he's there, he finds an old photo of Morningside with the tall man in it. And then the picture zooms in on the tall man who looks at Mike and then turns away. You have to expect, oh, he's on a, a horse drawn carriage and you'll have to expect it to like take off it doesn't that's weird um and so then he gets upset by this he has the hot girls take him home uh <laughs> i love that it zooms in <laughs> it zooms in and, and then whenever he's done looking at the photo it's in this new position it's, it's like, not like it didn't happen like what the fuck it's not a camera you dipshit it's like a haunted <laughs> photograph it's a tablet it's good oh my god <laughs> He has the girls take him home in their Volkswagen Beetle. Meanwhile, Reggie hears Minnie Tummy thumping around in the back of the ice cream truck. The hot girls are driving Mike home when they come across Reg Reggie's tumped over ice cream truck. Uh, they look inside. There's a mustard handprint in a piece of ice. The Jawa attacks, gets inside the Volkswagen. It pushes Mike out the back window, and then the car drives away with the girls relentlessly screaming while being attacked by the Jawa. And now Mike is just in the middle of the dark, foggy road at night. Those screams were they the worst. Oh, they were so bad. I hope they're dead, but they're not. Um, <laughs> then there's this weird, like, Jody's at home and and Mike is, is like, uh, passed out on the road. And it's, it's like the movie's implying that Jody's having psychic time with Mike or whatever. So then Mike gets up. He runs through the fog. Um, he gets back home. Jody doesn't say words. They just start cuddling um <laughs> and then he tells jody all about the girls and reggie uh and then then jody locks up mike in the room by putting like shoving a screwdriver into the door frame the wrong way by the yeah. way like that that's the wrong way to wedge someone in but apparently it is effective enough that the only way that mike is able to get out of the room is by taking a shotgun shell apart creating a little explosive device by packing up the the gunpowder uh, against the head of a hammer and then hitting not the doorknob with that but just the piece of shit door itself to explode a hole in the door that he can reach through and then pull his arm through and open the door from outside he he I love that he just happens to have a hammer on his desk and he's like distraught because he doesn't know how to get through the door, which has a kick hole at the bottom of it. <laughs> yes. So like you could kick through the door, apparently, or you could use the hammer or you could take a shotgun shell and push a fucking thumbtack into the firing pin and, yeah. and or the, the thing or whatever the fuck it's called. I'm not a gun person. Fuck you if you are. And then yeah. he like tapes it to a hammer and hits the door with it, and that somehow blows a hole in the door? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and it is soon after this that we find out that apparently Mike had a pistol in his pocket while all of this was going on. <laughs> yeah, not to mention a, a window in his fucking bedroom. I know! <laughs> 
God damn it. It's the stupidest thing. So this gives Jody just enough time to make it to the fucking graveyard. As Mike is leaving, the tall man is there. I've been waiting for you and picks up Mike and carries him away, throws him into the back of the hearse. Uh, Jody arrives at the at Morningside first. Mike now suddenly with the pistol uh, shoots out the back window of the hearse and then shoots through the inside of the car to to hit the tire and jumps out the back window just like what happened with the Volkswagen and and but because the tire is now out it causes the tall man to drive the hearse into a light pole and the car explodes apparently apparently the entire car is like a contact activated bomb it makes no sense at all it's really good it is an incendiary device amazing at Mo- Morningside, Jody disinters a casket. We're not really sure whose. I guess Tommy's, but maybe the parents. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Oh no, it's the da- he- I think it's the dads. Because is Mike- it the dads? Yeah, Mike says something about it. I had to. I had to go back and because I was like, why? What is the deal with this fucking casket? Why does this matter so much? Yeah. So he he pulls the casket out of the little like tube in the mausoleum. He opens it but then doesn't look inside the casket he's like got his eyes closed and he's looking away he opens it and then he closes it again and he says he has to be in there i know what the fuck is that that makes no sense at all i it doesn't he yeah i'm like what is he did he just like he opens it and looks up with his eyes closed and i'm like did he just jizz in his pants or something <laughs> like just in my pants I love that old closet smell that you only get from a <laughs> casket that's been closed a long time. He must be in there. <laughs> I'm listening to this horror book and there's this scene where these kids are like, there's a there's a pool with a big window in it and the pl- it's in this haunted resort or this this evil cursed resort or whatever. Oh, so they're in yeah. this they're in this area. It's a great book, but they're behind this big windowed off area and they're like there's this really bad smell in the area, but it's not urine. It's something else. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and like they've been talking about like weird satanic orgies and stuff. So I'm like, are they standing in a jizz chamber? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not urine. <laughs> yeah. So that's apparently that's what's going on with Jody. Um, Mike, Mike enters the mausoleum and uh, we get like this red, it's like all red and black, spherovision, pure red, pure black, no semitone, spherovision, because the sphere is now flying, whatever. Um, yeah. Mike says something like, eh, Dad, <laughs> I love that cougar on the wall, whatever he says. And then he opens the yeah. casket, nothing's there, it's empty. We get a, a stupid fucking scream, like, no, for no reason. <laughs> and then the sphere attacks, of course. And just as it's about to kill Mike, Jody runs around the corner with the shotgun that Mike's had the whole time, except when he had a pistol to shoot out the window earlier. Whatever. Um, He shoots the sphere, which explodes in pink dust. Sort of. It's like, what? (laughs) Okay. It's like a gender reveal party, but 1979. (laughs) It's a girl sphere! (laughs) They... They, they go to the door to the tall man's room, which has, like, 
a line of Roman profile sculpture heads over it for no apparent reason. Um, I'm sure it means something, I, but I don't know what. It looks cool. I have no idea what it means. Um, they're yeah. about to go in when Reg jump scares them. <laughs> it's, hey, guys, what's going on? <laughs> hey, you like my phony tail? It's like... I was here. <laughs> hey, somebody fucked up my ice cream truck. Okay. So... <laughs> They <laughs> they open the door. They're like, do we want to do this? No, we don't. And then they open the door and go in. And the first thing they see is the, the, all the visible walls from the doorway lined with these, like, black barrel things with little windows in them at the top. Um, it's fucking crazy looking. And they, they're kind of like, oh, what the... And then they walk into the room and cut a right and then... The rest of the room is all white, like just pure white, like hospital white or whatever. And then the only other yeah. thing basically are these two silver bars that are sticking up out of the floor like tuning forks. And Ooh! <laughs> so fucking stupid. Um, yeah. <laughs> so good. Well, yeah, we see the bars. We hear the cool fucking drone music. It's so great. Um, I think it's Jody looks into the barrels or maybe Reggie. I don't remember, but they figure out that there's dwarves in the barrels. So they're, Yay. they're dwarf barrels. Sure. Good. Um, just like in the Hobbit. <laughs> my, me, means while Mike is dicking around with the bars and like, he's like remembering that, oh, maybe I should stick my hand in it. But, oh, uh, fear is, fear is killer of the mind, but it's not yeah. the mind killer. But it's the killer. It will kill your mind or whatever the fuck. Like, <laughs> just say it. Just fucking say it. So, say it. <laughs> say the dust must flow. <laughs> so then it, he's or spice. Whatever. Yeah, Damn the it, spice. almost got it. The dwarf spice. So he, <laughs> he he's able to curb his fear and stick his hand into the thing, and it just vanishes. Like what? It, as it passes between the bars, it's such a cheesy effect, but it works. Yeah. And the music's all. Yep. Just keeps going <laughs> higher and higher. And then uh oh man, this this long past the point where all hell has broken loose and this movie makes no goddamn sense at all. Um None. <laughs> great. So uh <laughs> Mike gets sucked into the into the hole and he's suddenly in this alternate world where the sky is pure red. Just it's just a red tone. There has no texture or anything. The surface of this land is all rocks, all stone, and there's this procession of Jawas slowly walking in a single file at a slight angle across the shot. It's a great shot. It looks like something out of like a Jodorowsky film mm-hmm. or something. It's 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 very strange looking and makes no fucking sense, but it's totally awesome. So you know that happened, um, and they've got the barrels. Jody's, they're they're like they're yeah, like yeah, carrying the right. barrels, carrying so it looks them, like a, yeah. a line of ants carrying barrels, and it's like, okay, I guess so. Oh, yeah, sure, all right. And then a la ghost, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not ghost, no, no, a la a la a la the house. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. A la the house. Jody reaches into the alternate portal thing, grabs Mike by his belt. <laughs> It pulls him back into the real world on the other side of the bars, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Uh, then they say some horse shit about, uh, so the dwarves are slaves then. <laughs> and and then this, is a, 
this is a gateway to their planet. It's like, what? Yeah. The fuck are you talking about? Yeah. So I guess there, the implication is that they kill people and enslave them. He kills people and enslaves them by making them dwarves. No. But they don't really explain it at all. I think what's happening, he kills people, shrinks them down, puts them into barrels, ships them off to Arrakis where <clears throat> they turn them into slaves? Oh, okay. It's a slave factory with spice. Yeah. It's a sp- spicy slave factory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes that- sense. Now, that, yeah. does that unlock the movie for you? <laughs> okay, I guess. So, it's like, woo, it's like, here's my understanding at the beginning, and then it just opens up like a like a cone. It just gets wider and wider, and just yeah. like the music. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> dear God, uh, the power goes out, you know, be- because the power goes out. It just goes um, out. Yeah, they, they tell, uh, oh, my Mike's got a lighter, and then someone says, light it up. And he lights it up and uh, is immediately attacked by a Jawa that's standing right in front of him that nobody could have seen coming. Yeah. Because they're in total darkness. It's just yeah. darkness with voices, and then he lights it. Okay, great. Um, oh, my God. And then they're, like, whispering to each other. It's really stupid. Um, and then somehow Jody is now outside in front of the house. No explanation how he ended up there, but yeah, that's where he is. Uh, the power comes back on, just <laughs> back on, and uh, and then Reggie, Reggie ends up like he he suddenly remembers the tuning fork hum. Oh, if I do that, and then I do that, it's like some there's some connection that they don't explain, but it's real important to Reggie. Yeah. Um, has no bearing on anything else. It's never brought up again. Has no effect on anything. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Blonde Tits shows up out of the murky overgrowth, whatever, and is sneaking up behind Jody. Uh, she's going to stab him. Um, Reg is, is in the, uh, the portal room, puts his hands on the two bars, just like he put his two fingers on the tuning fork bars. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow stops Tits from stabbing Jody because she goes, ah! and then that's the end of that. And then sends the barrels into the gate portal while the electro hum is... It's the whole time all of this is happening, that tone is just rising and rising and rising. It's very tense, even yeah. though I have no fucking clue what's happening. Um <laughs> Mike is now outside searching for Jody, and it's extremely windy. And yeah. there's obviously several people off screen with bags of leaves that they're throwing in front of the fan. <laughs> Reggie goes outside, sees Tits laying on the ground right in front of the front door to the house. Um, he goes over to check on her, you know, kneels down, whatever. She wakes up and stabs Reggie, who bleeds really bad fake blood. Yeah. And then, in the meantime, and then he does that whole, uh, uh, I'm so hurt. Uh. And then Jody finds Mike. Um, they, they, you know, kiss. I don't know what they do. They, they meet up again. They go on a wind search for Reggie. Like, they're searching, you know, they try to, they're looking to find him. Uh, the blonde chick does the whole, like, 
it's the blonde girl. It's the tall man. So oh, I get it. She's the yeah. tall man. Now, now it's the tall man who grabs the knife, who I guess pulls it out of Reggie, I guess is what it was. Reggie passes out. Um, Jody and Mike show up. They find him. The tall man drives off in the hearse. Uh, and then Jody and Mike go home. But they don't take Reggie with them or anything. They just go home. And then uh, Jody starts talking about a mine shaft. How they should lure him. This I'll lure him to the mine shaft. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why it's just the word mine sounded German. So, mine shaft. <laughs> this I'll lure him to mine shaft. Read my famous <laughs> book, Mine Shaft. <laughs> Oh my god, have you met my my leader, Peter Cushing? <laughs> so um <laughs> Sorry, that was a little little shockwaves reference. Um uh, Mike's Mike is dropped off at home, okay? Uh whatever. He's always like Jody's I like how Jody's way of protecting Mike is to just leave him somewhere. Yeah. As, because that works so well. He just drops him off at home. Um He's like, Mike's like looking around the house. It's all dark and creepy. Pulls the curtains open. The tall man's there. Jumps through the window. Mike gets away. Um, The tall man mind blasts his way through a door behind Mike with this blue light behind him, which is pretty awesome. And chases the boy. (laughs) Chases him through the house in his platform shoes. Then he joins Kiss and they go on a tour. And wait, no, that didn't happen. Okay, that's right. <laughs> There's more more Mike Dune business, like where he's like he gets stuck in the mud, and then all these grabby hands reach out of the mud and grab him. That doesn't make any sense because it doesn't have to do with anything. Mm-hmm. And then Mike sees tits with the knife again, runs away, uh, leads the tall man. Somehow he's now being chased by the tall man or tits man, whatever is chasing him, and apparently they're like. 30 feet away from the mine shaft because he just leads the tall man right to the mine shaft. And then he just, the mine shaft, by the way, is a rectangular hole in the ground lined with brown fabric. Yeah. And it's like, what? And then the tall man runs into the hole, (laughs) like in the pit. He's just like, and then he falls (laughs) into the, falls into the der mine shaft. And then all these rocks, like Jody, I guess, is kicking rocks off the top of this this like ledge, and they're all magically and perfectly falling <laughs> into the mine shaft, perfect like fit. And then the final rock that he somehow manages to cap off the mine shaft is like a boulder that probably weighed about thirty five hundred pounds. Like Jesus Christ, if you were that strong, we could have used that throughout this fucking movie. So he caps off the mine. And then it's just like, it was so anticlimactic. I'm just like, where are we going with this? Like, I've seen this before and I still don't know what's happening. And then you hear thunder. Like, it's just you just hear thunder. I thought it was the sound of him, like he was going to burst out of the mine shaft. And I've already seen the movie and I couldn't remember what happened. So you hear all this thunder and then all of a sudden, whatever, Mike is in bed. He's got a really nice haircut. His hair's nice and short. He wakes up. He he thinks it's a dream. He's now downstairs um, with Reggie right in front of this roaring fire. His hair is long again for no reason. 
They're um, sitting way too close together. Yeah, they're like totally like jerking each other off, and then like Mike like puts his hand on that little ponytail of, and pulls Reggie down. And he's like uh. bobbing him up and down on top of him, and oh no, that wait, that didn't happen. The my ace of spades. <laughs> No one's born to lose. Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's the way I like it, baby. I ain't gonna live forever. Okay, so then, um, <laughs> wow, I'm really stupid. I like that so, you know the lyrics so well. <laughs> I love that song. It's a great song. Um, so then, then Joe. I mean, then Reggie tells him this ridiculous. Tells Mike this ridiculous story about how. <laughs> Jody is actually dead. He died in a car crash. Yeah. And we see Jody's grave it's during the day. He's Jody Pearson or whatever the fuck his name was. Um, he tells him that he was just, he tells Mike, you know, you're just having a bad dream. Jody's dead. You know, you're, you're just, you know, you're just, it, it's been a tough time for you. So, you know, it's understandable that you would dream a weird seventies movie, but you know, it's just a dream. <laughs> And then they they start stroking each other, and like Jody gets out this bottle of baby oil, and he's like <laughs> squirting it all over Reggie's. And then they're like, and then they start fucking. And... Oh, I'm sorry. What I mean, what I meant to say was they plan, they make plans to hit the road. Yeah. Reggie's like, hey, let's get in my or let's get in your brother's car, which I guess is my car because it remains his car through the rest of the series of movies. Nice. Uh, Let's get in the Cuda and fucking hit the fucking road, bro. Yeah. Come with me. All right. We're Where are we going? Love. Who fucking cares? Yeah. What are we going to do for money? Don't have any clue. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, okay, so that's their plan. They're just going to drive around America. Uh, and then he's like, hey, go get your crap. So Jody goes to get his crap. Reg whips out his guitar and starts <laughs> starts playing some chords and stuff. Mike, uh, you know, he takes a picture of his brother playing a guitar. Great. Stuffs that in his little bag. Closes the closet door. There's a mirror. And guess who's standing behind him in the reflection of the mirror? The tall man who says, uh. Boy! And then dwarf hands smash through the mirror and pull Mike into the, the dwarf land. Yeah, I guess. And Arrakis. the movie, yeah, back into Arrakis. Um, and the movie's over. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well done. Not a clue what happened, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah. What the it's, fuck? Yeah, and the beauty of this series is I don't think I've seen all of them. But I think I've seen enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is that as much as he expounds on whatever the fuck is happening, uh, by the end, because I did see Ravager, you still have no fucking clue what's going on. Um, Angus Scrim is now 900 years old by the time Ravager comes around, even though he's some sort of undead, inter... Uh, in, I don't know, multiverse, demonic force in platform shoes who ages like a human. It makes no sense, whatever. Yeah. But they're all great. All the movies are great. But this is an absolute classic. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. I have, I have no idea what's going on. It's so I get, so is it true? Like, was it all a dream? I don't, I don't think so because he sees the tall man after all, like he goes upstairs and the tall man's there. So, so or maybe it was all a dream, but then the tall man, that would be the actual first appearance of the tall man. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think it was the tall man fucking with him, or it was just Don Coscarelli thought it would be scary because you would think, oh, it's the old dream canard. I totally get. Oh my god, he's behind the mirror. Like, oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, his inspiration for this was uh, he he saw the I forget what movie it was, but he saw like the trailer for a movie, but then. The, the movie itself wasn't that scary. And he was like, ooh, what if I made a movie that was as scary as the trailer for the movie, but like every five minutes there was a moment that was as scary as the moment in the trailer. And then he made this. Instead of being like, I love horror movies, he was like, I love whatever I'm making. <laughs> I mean, I guess to be fair, the first time I saw this movie, the, the tall man jump scares, I mean, they're projected. It's not like, you know, there's not a lot of finesse in this film. Yeah. But... They are, they are well placed, and they're they're every time he shows up and says, "Boy, it's entertaining." Yes, um, yeah, which is good because it happens about nine hundred times in the next four movies. <laughs> oh, it's the best. Angus Rory Scrim is the best. So this movie was originally three hours long, and oh my god, <laughs> Jesus Christ! So they they cut he cut it down to about half the size and then they reused some of the footage for I think the third movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh my god. And then the rest of it's just lost and no one knows where that footage is. Oh god, I hope they find it. I I remembered when we were we were talking earlier about how um Ramon had had mentioned he wanted to suggest something to me. It was the Oh, that's good. I like how my phone just decides to scroll to somewhere I wasn't right when I need to show you something. He, um, do you, do you know who Roger Avery is? He was kind of a screenwriting partner with, uh, Tarantino. No. He, he made a movie called Killing Zoe back in the nineties. Uh, it was pretty good. Um, but anyways, Roger Avery, uh, wrote a proposed screenplay for the Phantasm sequel. Just, Wrote, I don't know if he like wrote it for his own benefit or what, but Ramon sent me the PDF to that, nice. and he called it Phantasm 2013 AD. I don't know if you can even read that because of the light. Yeah, but um, Phantasm 2013 AD screenplay by Roger Ravery. So there, it's the whole freaking screenplay, and of course I didn't read it because I'm too lazy, but I need to read it because it's it's ridiculous. Um, and then there's even like some creature drawings. It looks like here. Um, so yeah, that's weird. I mean, it's that's just so out of left field. Like Roger Avery wrote a phantasm the sequel. Looney the Looney Tunes sequel... guy. <laughs> Tex Avery wrote a. That's very strange. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I would watch that. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, and and he, I'm assuming he would have written it long after the actual uh, sequel came out because uh, Roger Avery's probably around my age, so he probably would have been around ten or eleven when the first movie. Came. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I need to write the screenplay right now. Oh my god, this is so scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So uh, I'll read that one day. Uh, so quick note, uh, a loose end to tie up. When when uh, oh, uh, Reggie appears in the mausoleum at the end, he mentions mm-hmm. that he found the girls, that they were oh, yeah. unkilled, Alive. yeah, and that he, he let them go, and that there was uh, other women with them. He was like, yeah, oh, yeah, they were there, and there were other girls too, and I, I let them all go. They all ran away. So, yeah, which... What? Yeah. It, it, okay. It's because it's because Don Coscarelli didn't want to leave loose ends. He wanted to wrap everything up in a nice bow so that it all made sense. And maybe if we saw the twelve-hour original <laughs> cut, you know, yes. there would be more stuff in there that fleshed it out. Yeah, the extended direct. I would love the extended director's cut oh. of this. <laughs> oh man, that is that's holy grail stuff right there. I just would like to point out that. Um, here where we live, which isn't Houston, Texas, it's the dead of summer, and I'm in my house with the air conditioning on, and I'm totally soaked. Yeah. Totally soaked. Yep. Like, it, this room, it's like there's no airflow in this room. I feel like I'm in the oven. It sucks out there. It's so bad. Jesus Christ. Fuck. We got a dog like a month and a half ago, and it's a puppy that needs to like let energy out. And we just happened to get a dog at the hottest point in (laughs) recorded human history. (laughs) Almost every single day has had a heat advisory that says, don't go outside or you'll die. (laughs) Translation, John... Work outside for two or three hours Jesus every day. Christ, don't do that. Dude, it's fucking horrible. No, no. And then oh. the guys are like, hey, hey, band practice on Thursday? Because we've got this big show coming up in September. And we're playing with, like, you know, one of our favorite bands from San Diego. And it's a big reunion show oh, for emos yeah. and all this stuff. It's it's we're pl- it's going to be great. And, uh, you know, every time we're about to practice, I'm just like, Guys, I spent like three hours on a forklift in the like in the in the hottest part of the day. Like, I feel like I'm gonna die. Yeah. And my car doesn't have air conditioning, so <laughs> fuck that. It takes me like 45 minutes to get to the studio, and then and then by the time I get there, I'm like dizzy. Oh, I can't God. see because I've been sweating in my own eyes for an hour. I'm just like, ah, ah, let's rock. No. <laughs> That's not happening. For those of us about to rock, I salute we. <laughs> Get off my own lawn. It's like, fuck. Oh, well, Anyways. Uh, on, on that topic, you do you, John, do you remember Shakespeare's Pub? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. That was a riot. That was awesome. So um, my, my girlfriend's dad uh, retired, and um, mm-hmm. then he joined a band, and they do, like, cover songs of like they're they're a cover band they, but they just like cover all kinds of stuff so like that's cool like i just uh went to see their their first like big show like they've been they've been playing wednesdays they play at like little venues but they got their their first time playing a friday night show at a bar called the monarch lounge um wow. And sounds cool. It's it sounds cool, and so uh, we went there, and we were turning into the parking lot, and it's like, oh, there's Kalachi Factory. It's on Memorial Drive, and 
So you turn and there's the clutch. And I was like, this is Shakespeare's pub. Shakespeare's pub is closed and it's been, Oh no. It's been gentrified into the Monarch lounge. Oh no, no more weird guys who just wander in off the street and play the coolest blues you've ever heard. Nope, nope. Now it's all about playing those sweet golden oldies for a crowd of, when I was there, a crowd of old people dressed like Barbie and Ken. Oh my god. (laughs) No more stealing someone's cigarettes and everything he has on the table while he's in the bathroom? Yes! (laughs) No more... No more tracking your girlfriend down because she's lost in the doorway. (laughs) I don't understand how this works. To be fair, it was a very confusing way to go inside. It was, and we drank a lot of beer. (laughs) Yeah, and that was the last cigarette machine I've ever seen was in their entryway. Uh, When you put in the money and you pull out the little thing and it comes out. But yeah, rest in, oh rest in, rest in pro Shakespeare's pub. <laughs> rest in prose. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so all that. Uh, so uh, the movie. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. John, if you had to uh, rate this toe bonking fly in the hair movie on a scale of zero to five, loathsome of things. How would you and why? Well, I got my, you know, got my seven criteria that I use now. Um, And uh, this was, you know, I'm probably rating this one kind of high because I love it so much. But when I was done, I I gave it a 4.5. Nice. (laughs) I mean, I just, there were so many, you know, is is it horror? Five, obviously. Did I enjoy it? 4.8 because it had a little, you know. Yeah. Production quality, yeah, maybe 3.5. That's being generous. Effects and makeup, they're terrible, but I love them. I gave it a five. Um, atmosphere, I gave it a five. Place and horror, I gave it a five. Uh, writing and acting, I, again, I was generous. I gave it a 3.5. Yeah. I didn't want to break tradition, yeah. so 4.5. <laughs> how, about, how about yourself? I gave it a 4.2 out of five. <laughs> um, oh, my God. <laughs> I think those, those three points are probably, like, at least half just because I don't have nostalgia for this movie. But, yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's fucking great. It's not like anything else I've ever seen. Um, it's, it's like other things that I've seen got smashed together, but in a very unique new way. And uh, it's, it's fucking great. It's confusing as hell to watch. I understood it more whenever I sat down and was paying attention and taking notes but I didn't understand it, so you could really watch it either way. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. If <laughs> if you want to feel baffled but impressed, watch this movie while you're doing something else. You'll be like, "What the fuck? What? Oh, I, I don't just know." Just away for thirty seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I must have missed something. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Ah, what a great. That's a good score, though. Eight point seven. That's eight point uh, seven. Damn. I don't know if it cracks the top ten. I don't have that in front of me. And if I pull it up in front of me, our thing will crash. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So I'm not going to pull that up. I don't think it does. I think all of our top ten are like in the nines and above. But this one, this one's close. It's it's a really unique movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Yeah, I can't, I can't not recommend it. It's wonderful. Yeah. 
Did you uh, you see any other horror stuff? Uh, I've been listening to the uh, Bentley Little books. Bentley Little is an American horror author who he's got like thirty novels or something like that. Um, they're all kind of similar in their own way, but he's he's one of those guys. He won the Bram Stoker Award for breast breast new novel. Oh yeah. In, uh, his first novel, or best first novel, and it was uh, that's the one I'm listening to now, The Revelation, about the the weird, evil uh, resort out in the middle of the Arizona desert. He was he was born in Arizona, and he lives in Southern California, so those two places are featured prominently in a lot of his books. And I like horror movies that have, like, like I just finished one that was, um, <laughs> it was based around a colony of Russian separatists sort of they're like this christian group called the molokans i had to look it up there's like a real thing and um molokan means milk drinker because they used to use (laughs) they used to drink milk as part of some sort of ritual that they would do so um and that's this is a real thing and so a bunch of them settled in arizona because they were you know being ostracized by the communists of course yeah and um so it 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 base it's based around this mythological creature, this house deity that they have called a, a Modavoy or something like that. He gives it a different name in the book. So then there's that whole thing going on, and then there's some sort of evil that's killing people and all this crazy shit. And then there's like Mormons in the town, and then there's the locals in the town who hate everybody, and it all comes to a head because they're all being influenced by some evil force, and it's just very strange, but I've been listening to a lot of his books lately and, and loving all of them. So that's been a good time. Awesome. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's about, that's about it as far as horror media. I, I do have a horror recommendation for all the buckaroos out there. Um, yeah. Chuck Tingle's new novel Camp Damascus is out and it's apparently nice. a lot of people are getting really excited about it. It features a neurodivergent uh, main character from their perspective. And so you get like a, like a autistic main character, autistic mm. main character from their own perspective. If you're not mm-hmm. familiar with Chuck Tingle, he wrote such amazing novels as Helicopter Man Pounds Dinosaur Billionaire Ass. Oh, he writes a lot of uh, like er- erotic, uh, like half dinosaur people, half horse people, and a lot of erotica surrounding inanimate objects, and he's really really fucking wow, awesome <laughs> that's amazing i've never read any of that stuff but that's that sounds hilarious yeah yeah he's he's a really cool dude too he shows up to like events he's got like a weird like bag that he wears over his uh-huh. face so go check that out and check us out in two weeks mm. oh i dropped i closed the fucking thing oh. when we cover when we review a movie <laughs> let's see which so the way this movie ends is is it a dream is it not a dream so i figured we should probably dive into that and see if maybe there's a movie that could help shed light on what's going on at the end of this movie so i figured the best thing we could do is move into the 1989 college grade film about dreams it's jay wolfel's beyond dreams door all right so tune in two weeks from today when we review that and i'm sorry john has to die at the end